0: In today's episode, I'll be going over the fundamentals of one of the oldest board games in existence, chess. I've played chess ever since I was a kid, and a lot of people I've spoken to recently have not, surprisingly. So I figured, why not put together an episode on it? So I've done just that. But before we jump in... A quick shout out to our latest affiliate friends from Amazon Audible. Since you're already on the podcast listening train, you may or may not have dabbled with audiobooks. Well, Audible from Amazon is one of the largest online audiobook stores offering some of your favourite titles in spoken form. You can even snag a book on chess. If you want to check it out for free, go to audible.com slash bros and blokes, that's Audible A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash bros and blokes to sign up for a 30-day trial all right let's jump in welcome to the bros and blokes lifestyle academy from the popular netflix show queen's gambit comes a fresh desire for those wanting to learn how chess works while i'm no underground custodian in an orphanage You'll get that if you've seen the show. I can help piece together the foundations of how to play. Okay, I'll stop that now. How exactly does the game work? What exactly is the object of the game? How does the horse-shaped piece move? And what exactly does check mean? Uh, If you're already familiar with how it works and looking for more advanced tips, uh, this episode probably isn't for you. But do check out the show notes to see some of those suggested resources for advancing your game hashtag Open. And obviously if you're listening to this episode in your car or on your way to work then this next tip might not be handy but it is kind of helpful to have some visual aid so if you're able to go onto google type in a quick chess search and get a chessboard layout and those pieces kind of the images of those that would kind of be helpful as well so you can kind of map together the pieces that I'm talking about how they relate to the game and ultimately how certain pieces move. All right so how does it work? It's Not as complex as you might think. I managed to teach some friends at work relatively quickly and they picked it up pretty quick. Uh, My wife as well, she's managed to dabble with it quite a few times. And uh, I want to say as a fan, but she won't admit it. But anyway, um, so today here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break down in the simplest form how it works. So we'll start with the object of the game. What is the ultimate goal for each person when they're playing? How to set it up? Some things that you might miss in traditional setups that obviously is important. And then we'll go over how each piece moves, because obviously that does play an integral role in how the actual game works. So, object of the game. I've written down here in my notes, to trap the opponent's king and avoid his potential capture. I'll say that one more time. To trap the opponent's king and avoid potential capture. Now that sounds kind of like maybe a little vague to some people, but ultimately, if the king can't escape and it's his move... There's no way out whether he's blocked or whether he's putting himself into potential danger. The game is over. That person has lost. It is considered checkmate, which we'll get into the terms here later on. And that person has officially lost. So uh, that is the main object of the game. When a person is trying to win, that's what they want to do to the opponent's king piece. So there you go. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, the object of the game is not... To take the opponent's pieces. As fun as it is. And when you're first learning to play chess. The satisfaction of taking someone's queen. Or taking someone's bishop or rook. Is equally as satisfactory. But ultimately. Does that serve you well going forward? Well some would argue yes of course. But when it comes to trying to trap the king. One could argue that it's good to have certain blocks in place. Certain setups. um, So you might not want to just go after all the pawns. one fell swoop. Anyway, that's more of a strategy thing. I won't go too much into that in this particular episode. So there's the object of the game. All right, to set it up. So obviously the game consists of a board with 64 squares, some black, some white. They're actually even black and white. But when you're setting up the board, it actually is really important to make sure that the bottom right corner is white. Contrary to popular belief, where you think you can just set up a board however you want, traditionally you're supposed to make sure that the bottom right corner is white. Make sure the bottom right right—it's like a tongue twister. Bottom right corner is white. There you go. Say that five times. Uh, just so ultimately the game is set up in the traditional fashion, and I think arguably it makes it easier to set up too when you're laying all the pieces out and where they're supposed to go, which we're about to get into. Um, so you get a a full proper game uh how it's set up then so obviously each team's pieces are facing each other you're not on the side in any awkward fashion Uh, you are facing opposites so on the very back row you're going to have your eight i call them star pieces some of them you have two of and some of them you just have one of each. And on the front row of that, so the second from the back, you're going to have your pawns. So these are the little tiny pieces. Typically they've got a little circular head, but again, different boards are very different. Of course, if you get those themed versions of chess where you have Simpsons characters or Star Wars characters or whatever it is, I simply can't help you there. <laughs> it's going to be very difficult to pair them all together. But if you're going to take a traditional chess board, You're going to have your pawns with the little circular head, and they're all going to be set up, eight of them, all connected all together on that second row from the very back. And again, same for black and white. Uh, Now, with the other pieces, uh, I'm going to read them from left to right, but it starts with the rook, which is the castle-looking piece, the knight, which is that horsey-looking piece, the bishop, which is the one that's got a slightly uh, elongated... um, more pointy head, if you want to go for more specific, more uh, general, somewhat specific. Uh, Then comes the king, which in most chess boards is going to have a little cross on the top of his head. But again, certain variations differ. You might want to look out for that. Next to him is the queen, arguably one of the most powerful pieces on the board. And then you have almost like a symmetry. So after the queen, it goes back to bishop, knight. So bishop again, pointy hat. Uh, Bishop, knight, knight and rook. A rook, again, is the castle piece. So if you're looking at it, kind of taking a step back, you're going to see that it's the three end pieces are almost symmetrical. Rook, knight, bishop, bishop, knight, rook. Uh, Also to make note here that the queen starts on her own color. So if you're playing as white, you want to make sure if you've got them the right way around, the king and the queen, that is, that the queen is on the white piece if it's white. And obviously she's going to be on the black piece square i should say if she is a black piece hopefully that makes sense um all right so let's dive in then with how these pieces move because obviously that is integral to your success in the game having the strategy to know when to move a piece where to move it maybe what time in the game anyway so we're going to start with the simple pieces first and then kind of gradually work our way up to the more important pieces and just kind of strategize it from there so the first one the front row Eight of these pieces of course it is the pawn that is typically the piece with the rounded head in a weird way they do do a lot in terms of function they create the wall if you like between your star pieces and obviously the opponent's pieces in the first instance most people move their pawns first and here is how they move they're going to move one square forward <laughs> yep that is it. Now, it gets obviously a little more complicated than that. But in the first instance, the very basic instance, whenever a pawn is in play, they are going to move one square forward. At the very beginning of the game, this is the only time where it's a little different. or well, two times, actually. But uh, at the very beginning of the game, if they haven't moved yet from their original starting position, they can actually move an extra square. So two squares forward. Um, again, a lot of chess players use that. There is a certain strategy. Oops, Sicilian open, maybe. Um, again, it's it all comes down to how you want to play the game. Some people choose to move the pawn just one piece at the beginning, but you do have the option to move it forward two pieces. After that, though, pawns can only move one spot forward. So worth noting there. Um, from there, the only other Irregularity, if you like, for the pawn is that when it is capturing an opponent's piece, it does it in a diagonal fashion. So, if you're looking at your chessboard in the layout, if there is a piece that is diagonally northwest or northeast that that piece wants to take, it can do so and it would then occupy that space. So, to clarify, if there is an opponent's piece that is northeast or northwest, that is directly northeast or northwest then it can take that piece and occupy that space that where that's where that piece will then end its play and one thing the pawn cannot do is take opponent's pieces forward if there is an opponent's piece directly in front of the pawn it can't move anywhere else it is essentially blocked from moving until the opponent chooses to move that particular piece so again Interesting piece, can't really do much in the first instance, obviously can take, any piece can take, but uh, in terms of strategy, maybe more defensive, one might argue. But again, we won't go too much into strategy here. One more big thing to stress, actually, before I forget about the pawn is one thing it can do is transform. What I mean by that is if you are able to take your or one of your pawns to the very end of the board as in where the opponent's star pieces would be set up in that move, you can choose what piece it becomes. So you can turn it into a queen, you can turn it into a knight, you can turn it into a rook. So essentially, yes, you could have two queens on the board at one time. This is actually a pretty big deal. But what's interesting is not many people choose to employ it because of the uh, enormity of the task shall we say it's a lot harder than you think to do but people do do it so there you go let's go ahead and move on to the knight which is the horse or horsey shaped piece uh unique in a sense because this is one of the if not the only piece now that i think about it that can actually jump over other pieces um, so in the first instance of course the knight is trapped Uh, in a wall of you know pawns in the front and so on but it can spring into action it can jump out and into its final destination so how exactly does the knight move in its simplest form it moves in an l shape now what does that mean exactly well (laughs) great question an l shape can be created in many different ways in chess but essentially it's going to be two spots forward and one spot left, or two spots forward and one spot right. That is the first example. But again, that L can also take the shape of one spot forward, two spots left, one spot forward, two spot right. Again, another L. Of course, the third example is one spot down, two spots left, one spot down, two spots right. Or indeed, two spots down, one spot left, Two spots down, one spot right. So, worth noting in that instance that it does kind of have its own unique pattern for how it moves. But, ultimately that does become really important for, especially if you're trying to see where your opponent's knight is and making sure your pieces aren't vulnerable to capture, knowing exactly what that L shape is in the game. Because if there is a piece that is two spots forward and one step left, for example... And the knight's, it's the knight's turn to move. He can take it. He can occupy that space. He can capture that piece, take it as his. Um, and that could be a very valid move. So interesting piece, like I said, worth keeping an eye on. But that is essentially how it moves. And yes, it can jump over pieces. That is a big question you get with them. It never can get blocked. It can always jump like a horse can, I guess. Anyway, so that's the knight. I'm going to whistle through these. The next one is the bishop. The bishop, the one with the pointy hat <laughs> in most instances. Again, your your board might not have this, but that's kind of how I see it. The bishop moves diagonally. So again, a very interesting piece because as you'll know how the board is set up, the pieces are obviously alternating, or the square, excuse me, are alternating black and white. And you have two bishops. One of them will start on the black's. And the other one will start on the white. So one bishop is always going to stay on that black plane. And the other bishop is always going to stay on that white plane. Um, How far do they move? As far as you want. Uh, Obviously, until they can't move anymore. If they're obviously blocked by one of your own pieces. Or, of course, if they choose to capture an opponent's piece. Which, again, is a valid move. Uh, One thing to note is, unlike the knight... The bishop can be blocked so again like i just reiterated you can't move any further it can't leapfrog any pieces on the board it can only move in whatever path it is free to move in but like i said it can move as many squares as you want diagonally so that's worth making a note of that is the bishop The Rook. The Rook is the very end piece on the bottom left, right squares on the setup. The one that looks like a castle. um, For me, actually, a pretty important piece. Again, some people might think differently or it might be equal to the Bishop. But the Rook does have a big role to play. Unfortunately, it can't be very active in the very beginning of the game because you do have to move a few pieces first for it to get its freedom, which again, you'll see in the setup. But when it does have a little bit more freedom, it can move quite well. Uh, The rook moves in straight lines vertically and horizontally and it can move like the bishop as many squares as you want provided it's not blocked or of course if you're capturing a piece that's obviously going to be its final resting point. So again it can move as many squares forward three or four or five as long again as the path is free in a up and down direction or a left and right direction. So again you choose And again, I find that very important when it comes to big plays, um, especially at the very end when you're trying to trap the king. Having the rook in play is, in my opinion, very important. But again, that's a strategy uh, potentially for a later episode. So that is the rook. So we're down to our last two pieces, Um, both probably the most important pieces on on the board. We'll start with the queen. She is the most exciting. She can move Pretty much any way she wants, really. The only thing she can't do, let's start with that, is she can't move in an L shape like the knight can, and she can't leapfrog other pieces, again, like the knight can. But what she can do is move as many spaces as she wants in a diagonal plane, in a vertical plane, and in a horizontal plane. So if you were to combine the bishop and the rook, you'd get essentially what the queen can do. Um, she is considered the most threatening piece based on the amount of moves that she can do. And one would argue that when you lose your queen, you're in trouble. <laughs> Although I have seen games end where the, uh, the person who loses their queen does still weird miraculously, but it is ultimately seen as a huge turning point in the game when a person loses their queen because they become very vulnerable, I should say, um, as the game does progress. So that is the queen. And then, of course, the king. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the object of the game is to keep the king safe, make sure he doesn't get trapped. So moving the king, though, sadly, is a little limited. He's actually one of the weakest uh, in terms of movement. Uh, He can move in any direction. He can move like the queen, uh, but only one space at a time. So, He can move horizontally. He can move vertically. He can move diagonally. But just one space, one space, that's it. Uh, He can't jump, again, like the knight can. Uh, If there's anything in his way, um, he can't move. And that's why, of course, when you're trying to create a checkmate situation against your opponent, having them kind of boxed in a corner is really important because you want to limit the opportunities that the king has to try and move or to be able to use one of his pieces to then... Block any potential threats so having the king trapped is uh, a key part of course to the success of chess of course if you look at the very beginning he's incredibly vulnerable Uh, in fact there is such a thing as a three move checkmate uh, where you can't (laughs) obviously uh, you can't obviously move your king in the beginning but if you expose the king in a certain way you can put yourself in a spot of bother so anyway that is the king but that is how those pieces move All right, let's answer now some of those key questions Some things you might have seen in chess that you're kind of curious about. Although the actual show, Queen's Gambit, didn't demonstrate this as much, but it is obviously a thing. It is, of course, check and checkmate. So let's start with check. If you move one of your pieces to threaten the opponent's king, at the end of your move, you would typically shout check. In this situation the opponent must move their king. They have no other option. They must move their king out of danger in order for the game to move on, because ultimately if they moved another piece, then of course you would essentially take the king, although that doesn't happen in chess, but of course then the game would be over, because you could capture the king. (laughs) But in that instance, the opponent has to move their king, or they can use one of their pieces to block a potential threat. So, for example, let's say I move my rook. It is in direct line with the opponent's king, five spaces vertically forward, let's say. But the opponent has a knight, horsey piece, and he or she decides to take that and put it directly in front or between my rook and the opponent's king then of course that has prevented danger. Check has now been averted and it would go back to being my turn. So there you go. Most people choose to move the king in those instances depending on how, of course, the board is set up, but other options are, of course, to use pieces to create a block. So that is check. What is checkmate? Well, checkmate is literally when you have put the opponent's king in a threatening position to the point where They cannot move the king. They can't save the king. It's a situation where there's threats on every space that the king could potentially move to if there are any vacant spaces. And there are no pieces that the opponent can use to potentially block any threats. And that is officially when the game is over and that person has won. Now, you may have seen in the Queen's Gambit too, if you did watch that show, that a lot of opponents were laying down their chess pieces on their side this is of course a move of resignation and a lot of professional chess leagues you'll see this they'll lay the piece on its side to say okay that's it I've lost game's over but you can resign if you see checkmate coming now that sounds kind of weird if you're you know in such a bad position you've hardly got any pieces left your king is kind of somewhat dotting around the board and you just sense that the danger's coming And there's literally no way out. You can resign early, which a lot of people do. And again, you lie the king on its side and the game is officially over. So that is the definition of check and checkmate. So what about some other considerations then? Again, this is a very simplified guide to playing chess. And there are certain things that we won't explain in this episode that are, of course, options when you're playing the game. But this is a foundational guide to get you started for sure. Um, Of course, you can only move one piece at a time. And so when it comes to your turn, obviously you move one piece. Once that piece is in its resting place, whether it's captured a piece, an opponent's piece or not, that is it. That is your move over. It is then over to the opponent to make their move and play progresses in that fashion. So worth noting there. When you're watching or playing professional chess, and again, this is just a side note if you want to call it that. uh, A lot of people like to play with the, the touch move I don't know if it's actually called that, but when you touch a piece, you have to then move that piece. You can't move, you can't take your finger off it and move another piece. Uh, Again, this rule can be stretched depending on who you're playing with. Uh, It's typical chess etiquette, if you want to call it that. Uh, Ultimately, it comes down to what you're exposing to your opponent in that moment. And so it's more common respect to once you've touched a piece to move the piece that you're going to move. Yeah, worth mentioning. Uh, What else? Clock timers. Again, uh, more of a professional setup if you're using a clock timer. Clock timers differ depending on how you choose to set up the game. But of course, your clock timer would be ticking if it is your move and you're thinking how to move. You would then push a button and get the opponent's clock moving once you've made your move. Again, as you've probably seen in the Queen's Gambit, If you run out of time, which does happen in certain games, the game is over and you've lost. It means the opponent has won almost by default by the fact that you have run out of time. You've used up all your time overthinking (laughs) and it has cost you. So things to note there. I guess in this closing segment, I would suggest a couple of things to do if you are brand new to chess and playing it for the first time is to get comfortable with how each piece moves through the board making sure you're not having your pieces exposed to too much danger too soon or too quickly, but ultimately not going for the king too quickly too. I think just kind of getting used to how each piece moves, how pieces can take opponent's pieces. Almost think about going for the pawns in a sense. It sounds kind of silly because a lot of people want the big pieces early, but getting a feel for the board, getting a feel of how the pieces move is going to be integral to, ultimately, how you end up playing a game. Because, ultimately, it's not about how a piece moves. It's putting opponents' pieces in certain threats that they then have to avoid. Sometimes, of course, chess comes down to an opponent not seeing a piece in threat or in danger or missing an area of the board. And that's why it can be a very time-consuming game, because the opponent wants to make sure that they've covered all their bases, nothing's being missed out and ultimately that's what makes it an exciting game. Sometimes you end up trapping an opponent's piece to the point where they will potentially lose it in the next move. So getting used to how pieces move is always a big one, but getting used to certain strategies will develop as you continue to play the game. Hey, maybe even play those games that can be a little bit ruthless as well, just so you can kind of see how those pan out. But always remember the final objective is to trap the king so they can't, uh, avoid capture in a future move. And that is essentially chess, guys. That is essentially chess. So let me know if you guys have any questions. Again, I have been playing for, not actively recently, but I did play obviously growing up as a kid and I love the game. It's very interesting. Um, <laughs> I wasn't the greatest at it, but I wasn't terrible at it. I was kind of one of those middle of the pack I wouldn't say mediocre players, maybe that's a little too hard on me, but you know what I mean. Um, And yeah, I'd love to hear if you guys have played or tried playing or if you're new to chess and you found this helpful. Um, Again, it's just interesting learning that so many people haven't played it before and... um Again, hopefully this helps. I would recommend, obviously, checking out certain resources. Obviously, chess.com is a great one. It's a simple one. A lot of people have been flooding that website, of course, based on the TV show and wanting to learn how to play, but a great resource. There are, of course, uh, streams you can watch on Twitch to have people playing chess live, so you can kind of see what they're thinking of, their thought patterns. Some of them do give a running commentary, some don't, but... Um, it's a great game to learn. It really is. It certainly challenges the mind in ways you might not have thought it would. So there we go. Hopefully you liked this episode, guys. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like my breakdown of the popular game, why not capture my rook as well as my heart and subscribe to our weekly show? You can also leap in an L-shape over to the Apple podcast and leave us a kind review. All right, guys, that'll do it. Until next time.